Welcome back, Hemming Brains, for another episode of the podcast, talking about William Shakespeare's uh, sonnets again. Got some descriptions here from Swim Says and Other Fishies. Thank you, Swim, for doing this. Oh, how much more doth beauty beauteous seem? Sonnet 54. Um, it's a clever and memorable poem that uses two similar yet integrally different flowers to speak on the fair youth. The poem uses imagery and figurative language in order to create two types of lives uh, that flowers live. One that which that which belongs to the rose is filled with beauty in both life and death. The other related to the canker bloom, a kind of wildflower is beautiful, but that beauty does not exist beyond its lifetime. The former is used to describe the youth whose beauty and goodness will live beyond his life through the speaker's poetry. Really did seem like, I mean, I know Shakespeare's very good and all, but so many of these poets are trying to achieve immortality and it was they had this magic code that if you could write a good poem you'd be immortalized and it just seems very unfair that that's all they had to do back then like these poems are okay and all but you know if if that's all you had to do to be immortal is write a good poem then we would all be writing good poems you know being your slave what should I do but tend sonnet 57 the poet says that as he is a slave to the fair youth being your slave he has to wait I do but tend upon his every beck and call times of your desire he says he has no time of his own I have no precious time nor any other work Uh, he says he dare not complain to anyone neither does the poet express bitterness at the absence of the fair youth, even after the youth have told him goodbye. He does not dare question the youth. He harbours jealous thoughts about where the youth may be, or with whom he is having an affair. Instead, like a sad servant, he will sit and think about nothing else except wherever the youth is, how happy he may be making others. He then says that in being true and sincere, love is a fool. So true a fool is love, because, though the youth may be unfair to him by doing anything he wishes, the poet will not bear any resentment against him. He thinks no ill. Sad poet. You need to get some more self-esteem, I think. Like, um, Look, I know some people in their youth seem very beautiful and pure and, and, and just sort of otherworldly in their beauty. But, honestly, they're probably just little dumbasses, <laughs> you know, like, you're blowing this person person out of proportion in your own mind, thinking that they're the best thing in the whole world, because they're pretty, you know, and that's probably about the extent of it. Um, and against that, against that, um ideal that you're holding them to you're comparing yourself and not comparing favorably because obviously you're comparing yourself to not a real person more like a kind of an ideal in your own mind you've projected on that person that's my advice to you Shakespeare but it is still a, a fascinating phenomenon to watch in the, in the young as they fall in love for the first times 
Sonnet 73, that time of year thou mayest in me behold, uses autumn, twilight and a dying fire to extend metaphors for growing older. The poem makes it clear that ageing and death are inevitable, but also affirms that the person the speaker is addressing, fair youth, still loves the speaker just the same. In fact, person loves the speaker even more, knowing that their time together is limited. Rather than rage against the march of time, the poem ultimately offers that genuine love doesn't care about age and need not diminish as a loved one nears death. Farewell, thou art too dear from my possessing. Sonnet 87 reads as if it were the culmination of the rival poet's sequence, which has ended in the final rejection of the poet by the youth in favour of the rival opening word farewell it is almost sufficiently summary of the whole poem the long series of loving exchanges has finally come to an end but the poet does not attach any blame to the beloved instead he finds justification for the rejection in his own inadequacies and deficiencies this poet really has very low self-esteem i think poet 90 then hate me when thou wilt if ever now speaks about the disintegrating relationship between the fair youth and the speaker. I think I've read these out of order. Oh no, 87 and then 90. Um, as if, as in pre previous sonnets. Throughout the lines of the sonnet, the speaker tells the youth very directly that he would prefer the young man to bring on all the hurt and rejection he has to offer now. It would be better for the speaker if the fair youth leaves him at the beginning of a series of misfortunes rather than at the end. The speaker knows that if this occurs then any other terrible events that followed will seem like nothing in comparison. Again, so low self-esteem for the poet. Pull yourself together, dude. It's just, just a, you know, it's just a love interest. <clears throat> Don't give them so much power, you know? Alright, so that was poet, uh, poems, sonnets, I should say, 5 through 10, I believe. Let me just make sure I've got that right. Yes, it was. So now we're going to really read 11 through 15. They that have power to hurt and will do none, that do not do the thing they must do, show who moving others are themselves as stone, unmoved, cold, and to temptation slow. They rightly do inherit heaven's graces and husband nature's riches for expenses. They are the lords and owners of their faces, others but stewards of their excellence. The summer's flow is to the summer sweet, though it to itself it only live and die. That, if that flower with base infection meet, the basest weed outbraves his dignity. For sweetest things turn sourest by their deeds, lilies that fester smell far worse than weeds. Good last line. Love that. Uh, Twelve. How like the winter hath my absence been from thee, the pleasure of the fleeting year? What freezings have I felt, what dark days seen, what old December's bareness everywhere? And yet this time removed was summer's time, the teeming autumn big with rich increase, bearing the wanton burden of the prime like widowed wombs after their lord's decease. Yet, this abundant issue seemed to me but hope of orphans and unfathered fruit. For summer, 
and his pleasures wait on thee, and thou away the birds are mute. Or if they sing, tis with a so dull a cheer that leaves look pale, dreading the winter's near. 13. From you have I been absent in the spring, when proud pied April, dressed in all his trim, hath put a spirit of youth in everything, that heavy satin laughed and leaped with him, yet nor the lays of birds nor the sweet smell of different flowers in odour and in hue could make me any summer's story tell, or from their proud lap pluck them where they grew, nor did I wonder at the lilies white, nor praise the deep vermilion in the rose. They were but sweet, but figures of delight drawn after you, you pattern of all those. Yet seemed it winter still, and you away, as with your shadow I with these did play. 14. My love is strengthened, though more weak in seeming. I love not less, though less the show appear. That love is merchandised, whose rich esteeming the owner's tongue doth publish everywhere. Our love was new, and then but in the spring, when I was wont to greet it with my lays, as Philomel in summer's front doth sing, and stops her pipe in growth of riper days. Not that the summer is less pleasant now, than when her mournful hymns did hush the night, but that wild music burthens every bough, and sweets grown common lose their dear delight. Therefore, like her, I sometimes hold my tongue, because I would not dull you with my song. 15. To me, fair friend, you never can be old, for as you were when first your eyes I eyed, such seems your beauty still three winters cold have from the forests shook three summers pride. Three beauteous springs to yellow autumn turned. In process of the seasons have I seen three Aprils perfumes in three hot dunes burned since first I saw your fresh which yet are green. Ah, yet doth beauty like a dial hand steal from his figure and no pace perceived so your sweet hue, which methinks still doth stand, hath motion, and mine eye may be deceived. For fear, of which hear this thou age unbred, ere you were born, was beauty's summer dead. 